even in the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Hello, everyone. It is so good to see you today. Like Grant said, my name is Julie, and I am one of the pastors here at CTK. I'm honored to be with you this weekend. Well, last year, as we all, I'm sure, remember, we entered into a time of unexpectedly being at home more than going out. And when that started to happen, people started to make jokes about like, oh goodness, introverts are saying that they have trained their whole lives for this moment. And we all laughed because we needed to laugh then. And also, a lot of people were wondering who in the world would be excited about staying home. And I am here to let you know, it's me. I was thrilled. I was like, wait a second. I don't have to go to that dinner party I didn't really want to go to on Friday night anyway. I don't have to find a way out of going to something because nothing was going on. It was a dream. I loved it. And even though it was, it seems crazy, I just love being at home. I enjoy it so much. I was a homebody before Joanna Gaines made it cool and made a lot of money on that statement. That is who I am to the core. To misquote The Little Mermaid, I don't always want to be where the people are. And I have always been this way. This is how I'm wired. In college, you do that normal thing where you're sitting in class on a Friday and someone asks, hey, what are your plans this weekend? And I would say, I don't have plans or I am going to rent a movie because that's when you went and rented movies, like at Blockbuster. Um, and I was going to go rent a movie like by myself. And if my roommates are around, that's cool, but they don't really need to be because I'm fine. Um, that was me. I mean, eventually when you give that answer so many times, people just stop asking, and I'm also fine with that too. Um, but I don't want you to worry about me. Even though sheltering at home was a dream for me, I do love people, and I am glad we are seeing people face to face again. And somewhere along the way, I asked my husband, who is an essential worker, he was going to work every day like normal and I was home alone. I asked him if we could get a puppy and he said yes and she was a nightmare. So I think I was less okay than I thought. I just have a natural inclination to saying no to attending social things. But even though that's true of me, I really love a good dinner party. A good dinner party where you're sitting at a table for far too long, longer than those seats are actually comfortable, where you're enjoying a really good meal, where you're telling stories and you laugh until you cry, and I laugh until I cry pretty easily. I love when you're sitting and talking about your fears and insecurities and what God is doing in your life and a whole lot of things that are less important than that as well. I love to attend a party, and I think showing up to someone's birthday or wedding shows that you actually care about them, that you care enough to be at something that is important to them. And even if it goes against my introverted instinct, I find that most times that I say yes, I am really, really glad that I went, most of the time. 
But what we're going to see when we look at this parable this weekend is that we are invited to a great banquet. And our host would love for us to attend, but saying yes to the invitation doesn't come as easily as we would hope that it would. And this message is very, very important to Jesus. He talked about it many times throughout his time on earth, and he covered this in so, in so many different ways, but he also shared a couple of parables that were really similar about this same topic. So as I'm starting to read the parable in a moment, you're going to say, hey, that sounds really familiar. Didn't Grant preach on that exact same parable a couple of weeks ago? It is not the exact same parable. It's a different one. But again, this was so important to Jesus that he he talked about it more than once. So let's take a look at the one we're going to be looking at today. It's in Luke 14. We're going to start in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for your parables for these stories that you shared while you were on earth that we still get to learn from today. God, we pray that we are very aware of your heart for your people through this parable. God, we pray that you will guide our conversation and that we will see more of you today. In your name, amen. I am so glad that we are looking at this parable together because it is one of my favorites. I love it. But mostly what I have always loved is in the second half of the story. When we look at that, we remember some of what we have learned about parables this summer. We've been looking at them for a few weeks now. And in all parables, there is someone who represents God, and there is someone who represents us. And all of it happens in the context of the kingdom of God. So when we see the host of the banquet, that is who is representing God in this parable. And he has his servants go out and invite everyone to come because unexpectedly there are open seats at the table and he wants it to be a full house. And that is so beautiful. It's a part of the parable that I cannot get over no matter how many times I read it. God is saying, I want everyone to be with me. And his servants do exactly what he wants, and they go out, and they go to the fringes of society, and they invite everyone to come to this party. 
And then you imagine what that table would be like with these absolute misfits that you could never even imagine. These are the people who wouldn't even know which fork to use and whether or not elbows are supposed to be on or off the table, because I feel like that's always debated. None of them would know that, and they are invited to be a part of God's story and hang out with him at the table. But that is not truly the point of this parable. Jesus is telling this story as he's at dinner himself. He's at the home of one of the Pharisees, and he is hanging out with them on a Sabbath. And this parable is only part of his teaching that night, but it's not the very first thing that he talks about. First, he talks to those who are there at the dinner party, and he tells them instead of being into themselves and promoting themselves and trying to get the top spot at the table, they should be more humble and give their space away. And after he says that, he says this in verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So that's the instruction that Jesus is giving that night. And he gives that to the Pharisee, even though everyone is listening in. And Jesus had often described the kingdom of God as a banquet. So that wasn't necessarily new. And what he's saying is that when it comes to his kingdom, which he's saying the banquet in this, in this story, he says, you need to invite everyone and don't do it so that you get something in return because that's not the point. Just invite everyone because that's who I want to have in my kingdom. So even before he shared that parable, he's saying, I want everyone there. Whoever they are and whatever they have, they are invited. And he's asking those who are with him, can you pass out these invites for me? Can you be a part of making sure that these people that I care about are there at my party? And it's in response to that, to Jesus saying, I'm throwing a party and I want everyone there, that someone says in verse 15, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus shares the parable. So the guests understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, everyone's invited. And they were like, yep, everyone's invited. And it's going to be a great party and it will be a blessing to be there. God's party is one we are blessed to attend so if all of those people already understood that everyone was invited, that can't be the whole point of the parable. So what else was Jesus sharing that story for? It has to do with those who receive the first invitations. We need to understand a little bit about culture in the time. When you received an invitation to a party or a dinner or a wedding feast or something like that, you had to respond immediately with a yes or a no. This wasn't like what we do where we're invited to something on Facebook and we say maybe or interested until the day of the party so we can decide if we get a better offer. Or we say yes on Facebook. We all know that means maybe on Facebook. And if you say maybe, it is actually probably a no. It wasn't like that at all. It was a commitment, one way or another. If someone said, you're invited to my house for a wedding feast six months from now, 
you were going to go if you said yes. Because it was a really big deal to throw a party that was that big. It was a big deal to make sure that there was enough food for everyone. There was a lot of money that would be spent. It really mattered that you said yes or no so that the host could plan appropriately. And to have a host left with a half-attended party would be insulting. So these people had said yes, and then the time comes, however many months later, and they're told the party is ready, go ahead and come, and they back out. And they give some excuses about why they're backing out. And those excuses can pretty much be summed up as money, work, and family. And those are things that we understand. In today's culture, we understand those things. If we heard that someone couldn't attend a party that they had planned on because they had a family obligation or because they had a big home purchase, which we all know is a very big deal right now, then we would understand why they made the choice that they did. Now, if someone looked at us and said, I have some oxen to check out or a field to look at, it might feel a little bit more suspicious. But mostly we understand money, work, and family. But when those excuses are said to the host that we see here in this parable, he doesn't understand. He gets angry because they knew what they were committed to and they chose to say no because life got in the way of attending his party. They said yes and they didn't follow through. And those things, like I said, they sound good and important to us, like we get it. Those are not acceptable excuses to our host because what the host wanted was for them to show up at his party and to not let life get in the way. Because his party is one we are blessed to attend. That person who is unnamed, who made that observation that night with Jesus was completely right. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I have always found it so fascinating that the kingdom of God is described as a banquet. It happens really often throughout Jewish texts. And Jesus wanted us to understand something by using this analogy. And he also centered a lot of his ministry on earth around meals. In fact, on his last night on earth, Jesus leaves his, his disciples with instructions about how to eat and drink as a way to remember him and his sacrifice. And he even promises to eat and drink with his people again one day. And I've always wondered why that is. And author Shauna Nequist addresses this in her book, Bread and Wine. She says, at the very beginning and all through the Bible, all through the stories about God and his people, there are stories about food, about all of life changing with the bite of an apple, about trading an inheritance for a bowl of stew, about waking up to find the land littered with bread, God's way of caring for his people, about a wedding where water turned to wine, Jesus's first miracle, about the very first Last Supper, the humble bread and wine becoming for all time indelibly linked to the very body of Christ, the center point for thousands of years of tradition and belief. It matters. It mattered then and it matters now, possibly even more so because it's a way of reclaiming some of the things we may have lost along the way. 
all of life changed with food, the bite of an apple. Everything that God intended for us got completely upended when the first couple chose a piece of fruit over God's instructions. That is when brokenness entered the world. That bite of food changed everything. And hundreds of years later, God himself shows up on earth and uses food to show us how he plans to heal what was broken. Jesus paints this picture of redemption with food, with bread and wine or juice. In that moment, Jesus is acknowledging, yes, in the beginning, you were led astray by food, but I am God and I can redeem that. And that redemption is what even allows us to claim a seat at the table. Our ability to say yes to God's invitation is what he is illustrating with food. Food was there when it broke, and Jesus uses food to show us wholeness and redemption. Food and dinner and banquets are a way of reclaiming some of the things that we have lost along the way. We have forgotten that it is a blessing to dine with God. And as I've looked closer, I've realized that that is what this parable is actually about. Because why does someone originally say yes to an invitation and then say no in the end? Because something happens in that space in between. When you first receive the invitation, it sounded fun. Like, oh, I got this in the mail and I'm really honored. I would love to attend that party. And then a few months later, when the day comes, it seems not as important to be there. One reason we make that choice is because we lack a deep relationship with the host of the party. We are less likely to say no to the ones that we love the most. And if we do, it's usually a very significant reason that we choose to say no. The people that we are most comfortable around, the ones that know us, the ones that have walked with us through good and bad, being with them is just easy. We say yes to showing up to those people's house. If you say no to an invite, chances are you need to get to know the host better. And how do you do that? By saying yes to the invitation. If you want to know someone more, you have to show up more than once. Relationships are built over time. We know this. You don't meet someone and then instantly know everything about them. You have to have shared experiences and multiple conversations, even the ones that are uncomfortable and hard. Saying yes to God's invitation that promises us eternity doesn't guarantee that we're going to say yes to an opportunity we have to dine with him today or any other day. And that means that we are actually missing out. We can spend time with God right now. We don't have to wait. We can know him more right now. Following God and being a disciple of his is about saying continual yeses to his invitation. So we have to say yes the first time. That is important. But we need to keep saying yes to every opportunity we have to spend time with him. Because that's all a banquet really is. It's an opportunity to feast with the host 
to sit around the same table, to hear stories, and to get to know the other people that are there too, which is amazing. They're the ones that probably invited you in the first place, and a lot of those misfits that we talked about before, because God's table is messy. The banquet table is where we lay down our pride, like Jesus talked about in the first half of Luke 14, and we honor our hosts by attending his party. I don't believe that very many of us actually say no to invites from God on purpose if we're followers of him. I don't think we mean to drift away from a close relationship with him. I don't think we're trying to miss opportunities to spend time with him. We are distracted and we are busy. And like I said, when we get that invitation to a party, it sounds fun. And then it's a little bit later and it's the end of a busy and hectic week. And you'd rather stay home and watch the Olympics in your soft pants than put on hard pants and go out. And I get it because it's the Olympics and synchronized swimming, which is amazing. And you should all watch that. But often we say no because we are exhausted. And no matter who we are and how we are wired, it is easier for all of us at times to choose to stay in and not engage rather than go out and connect with others. We live our lives and we see a thousand to-dos and should-dos and time just gets away from us. We have more to do than time to do it. And things that we can do to build our relationship with God sometimes starts feeling like not as much of a priority as the urgent things all around us. Even something like attending a small group can feel like another to-do that we would like to not do because it's just another thing. We know that if we go, we're going to be really glad that we went. And we know that if we go, we're going to grow closer to God and closer to the people in our small group. But it feels like an easy thing to say no to. I can't say no to work. I can't say no to school. Small group's just an extra. I'm just going to say no. I feel that way sometimes too. But we think if we say no this one time, we'll free up some space and we'll say yes to the next invitation that comes along. But we all know that when we say no once, it becomes easier to say no again. The no's just build on themselves in a way that really just forces us out of community and out of relationship with God. So we have to get out of the swirl. We have to set up the rhythms of our lives differently. We have to make sure that the inertia of our lives is not pushing us into being busy instead of being in relationship with God. Well, I was admittedly not all that sad about being told that we had to stay home last year. Even I got over it by the end. That was a really hard and isolating year. But more often than not, I actually hear people say that that past year of living differently taught them something. And they saw the opportunity that it had to break those patterns and those cycles of saying yes to all of the things that were going on. And even though the extreme nature of 2020 is not one that we're ever looking to repeat, we can learn about what it means to take space and time to choose what it is that we're going to say yes to and what is good and healthy for ourselves and our families, not just all of the things that we think that we should do. 
as everything is starting to open up again, we don't have to actually say yes to all of the things that we were doing before if all of those yeses are taking away our, our opportunity to say yes to God. If we can't say yes to him and his invitations to us, we've said yes to too many other things. And we have the ability to make choices, to adjust our time in a way that ensures that we can say yes to the right things. Now, this doesn't mean that the only things we can say yes to are super serious, very spiritual things. Like you get invited to spend time with friends and you're like, I'm sorry, I can't. I need to read five hours of Old Testament law and memorize First Chronicles. It's not that at all. And it's also not finding a spiritual checklist that we can work through. And then you do that and you've said yes to all the right things and boom, your relationship with God is perfect and you're done. It's not that either. But it is about pursuing a sustainable rhythm of life. If you are like me and you have ever been so busy that you have had to eat something super quick over the sink so you can grab your keys and go to the next thing that you're committed to, or if you would love to have the time to eat over the sink because you're eating in your car, you know that it is just not fun being that busy. And when you're eating a meal in your car or over the sink, a meal does not feel like a holy moment where you're remembering God. Eating a super quick meal or even forgetting to eat altogether does not feel like sustainable living. Dallas Willard says that hurry is the enemy of our spiritual lives. And he's right. And we all know what that feels like. That pace, that rhythm that is so much and so quick and so fast. And then we hear... Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And we take a breath because that's what we want. We want to pause and eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And the good news is we are invited to live in a way that allows us to flourish we can live at a pace of life that does allow us to read our Bibles and pray. Those are very important spiritual practices. But also to participate in spiritual practices like celebration, which is fun. And to have margin and to be able to rest and have time to serve like Wendy talked about last week. To take a nap, which seems like a foreign concept to like all of us. And to worship. We can even set up our lives in a rhythm where we can participate in Sabbath like Jesus did. Jesus still cared for others and served on Sabbath, but he also made time to savor a meal. Jesus would eat a good meal with the people that he cared about, and we can too. Because I believe with all of my heart that eating a good meal can be part of growing closer to God if you look toward him as the giver of that food. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual, God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. Growing closer to our creator doesn't just look like doing all the right things in order to get to know him. It means random things 
like eating the food that he created. We are really forgetful people, and if you need a reminder of that, anything you read in the Bible shows that humanity is forgetful. But we also know that that is true about our own lives as well. We are the reasons that post-its were invented because we need those visual reminders and the reason that our calendar apps and reminder apps pop up on our phones so we can't miss it. I have to literally use my calendar app to remind me to water plants and you would think that a drooping plant would be enough of a reminder, but I need that ding that lights up on my phone and then I still don't always remember to do it. We have to set up cues so we can remember what's important and so we don't lose our way. Those cues help us keep before us what to say yes to and what to say no to. God knew we were going to be forgetful. He's not surprised by this. And so he gave us normal everyday items that would help us remember him, to help turn our focus toward him when we're distracted. And the best example of that is that meal that I talked about earlier, Jesus' last meal when he was on earth. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about that like this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we participate in communion, it is our opportunity to remember what he did for us. God decided to use everyday food items, things we interact with all of the time, to show us what he was about to do for us and then said that every time we ate those, we could remember him. So we have an opportunity to think of God every time together as a church, we eat bread and drink juice as communion. But we can think about the body and the blood every time we interact with those things, not just when they show up at church, but when they show up anywhere on your dining room table or your living room floor or your back deck or a picnic table, we can continually be reminded of all that God has provided and all that he will provide for us. We can live in a way where we continually acknowledge God, where we realize that he is there with us in the day-to-day, that he is present at all of our meals, We don't have to lose sight of God if we remember that he is with us. And we can use that very food that he has provided as a way of remembering him, which means that we get to remember him with a lot of regularity. And that remembering is part of what helps us cultivate a growing relationship with him. Understanding that God wants a continual relationship with me has made a really big difference in my life. I have always known I was taught at a young age about saying yes to God's invitation and that that meant that I knew what life after death would look like. But for a huge portion of my life, I didn't understand the opportunity I had to say yes to him today, not just for the future promise of heaven. I didn't understand I had such an opportunity to know him right now. I had spent so much of my life focused on the future that I missed him in the everyday. I 
had to come to a place where I could remember that God's presence was with me with whatever I was facing right now. I did have to add spiritual practices to my life that helped me slow my pace down and remember God and get to know him. I had to spend more time in prayer than just like shouting my like few needs to him and walking away. I had to slow down and listen for what he had to say in return. I had to read scripture differently and listen to what he was saying through that. And I had to add Sabbath and rest in service and celebration and worship. And then I had to learn how to say no to the things that were getting in the way of all of that. It's not been perfect. It never will be perfect on earth. And getting to know God takes a lifetime. I will continually find new things about God. When we're talking about the creator of the universe, we have a lifetime to get to know him. And we'll still learn more when we do reach eternity. And I know that I will get distracted along the way. I am going to say yes to the wrong things at the wrong time. And I am going to lose my focus and I'm going to feel far from God. But when I say no to the things that are keeping me from him and say yes to him again, I will find that he is right there waiting for me. Because more than anything, our host wants us to dine with him. I really want everyone to say yes to Jesus today, knowing that their eternity will be different. That matters to me so much. But I really want everyone to know that there is so much goodness and beauty of an actual relationship with God right now, today, that you can get to know the Creator in a way that you would never imagine. There are so many opportunities for us to say yes to hanging out with the best party hosts ever. And I pray that we say yes more often than we say no. I pray that we say yes for today. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So let's commit to feasting with God this week. We are going to take an opportunity to remember God by remembering him through what he modeled for us in his last meal on earth through communion. And we are going to, as a church family, say yes to participating in communion every day for the next seven days. If you were with us last year, we did a practice really similar to this where we took communion every day. And it was so helpful to slow down and remember God in our day-to-day -day rhythms of life. All things considered, participating, participating in communion every day is not really committing to that much time. But even still, the opportunity to say no on any given day is going to pop up. Something will make it feel like you're too busy or too distracted to participate in communion that day. If you do say no on any day this week, if you say yes the next day, you will find that God is right there ready to hear from you. God created this way of remembering him, and we have an opportunity to participate in that. So we're not going to take communion together during this service. We're going to take it after the service ends. Each of us will take it in different places. Some of us will take it in our cars. Some will take it in our homes. Some of us will do it with small groups or by ourselves or with our families. We'll do it at beaches and on our back deck and all sorts of places. But all around, 
wherever we are, we are going to remember God by practicing saying yes to remembering him and sharing time with him this week. You don't need anything special to take communion every day this week. You just need some sort of bread or cracker and some sort of juice. Anything will really work. If you're here with us in person, you can pick up a communion set on your way out. They'll be out in the commons, and that will be your first set of communion for you. It doesn't have to be a special ceremony. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus' body was broken for you. That's the bread. And his blood was shed for you. That's the cup. And then you eat. God uses that moment of remembrance to heal our broken places and point, him, point us back toward him. I encourage you to take communion as soon as you can today to pause and remember him and say yes before all the reasons to say no get in the way. You're going to face all of those reasons to say no tomorrow anyway. And if this is newer for you to spend time with God, I hope that this small act will help you understand God's great love for you and his de desire to spend time with you on a daily basis. And if you already spend time with God regularly, how can you get to know him more? If you start with seven straight days of communion, on the eighth day, what are you going to put in that new set-aside time to getting to know him more or growing a new spiritual practice or developing one you love? The reality is that we all get an invitation. We have an opportunity to spend eternity with God, but eternity starts now. And I want every one of us to take advantage of every opportunity we have to spend time with God and say yes to him today for today. He has an invitation for you. It's in the bread and the cup. And he is hoping that you will say yes right now. We are going to get another opportunity to respond to his invitation by responding through worship in just a, in, in a minute. And as we worship, it is my prayer that we will each hear from God how much he loves us and wants to spend time with us, how dearly loved we are by the hosts of the greatest party ever. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you, the creator of all things, wants to spend time with each of us, that you value each of us, that you created each of us lovingly, and that you are excited by each and every time we show up to spending time with you. I pray that we all find ways to say no to distractions and yes to you this week. I pray all this in your name. Amen.